Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our online service today. We're so glad that you could join with us. My name is Stephanie, and I'm the Ministry and Operations Administrator here at Regen. Our reopening date has been postponed, and no date has been scheduled yet. We have made preparations to reopen, and we will do so as soon as we can, and as deemed safe by the county and the state. Information for the reopening of our services can be found on our website at regenerationweb.com reopening. We'll be continuing our study in First John. And uh, before we jump into chapter 5, just the first five verses of First John chapter 5, uh, I want us to be reminded as to why John wrote this letter. And it can actually be found in verse 13 of chapter 5, where John wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John wrote this letter to those who have faith in Jesus Christ to give us assurance as followers of Jesus. And that's what these five chapters in this letter have aimed to do for us. And since the goal is assurance for the believer, the natural counterbalance is an, unsettled, an unsettledness for the unbeliever. Any false teacher, any unbeliever who doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ as Savior is going to feel this unsettledness reading John's letter. And anyone who doesn't belong to Jesus is going to feel unsettled. And this belonging is evidenced by, by three things. Genuine belief, genuine love, and genuine obedience. Genuine belief is found in verses 1, 4, and 5, where we read the words believes and faith, and where John addressed doctrinal testing. Genuine love is found in verses 1, 2, and 3, where we read the words love and loves, and where John addressed social testing. And genuine obedience is found in verses 2 and 3, where we read the words obey and keep in regards to commandments. And this is where John addressed moral testing. So the tests to see if we genuinely belong to Christ are through our belief, which is doctrinal, through our love, which is social, and obedience, which is the moral test. And so you'll notice that the bookends to this assurance are belief, which are found in verses 1 and 5. And it is what wraps around love and obedience in a believer. I've noticed that folks on the more liberal side lean more toward love. They lean more towards social aspects of faith. And that folks on the conservative side tend to lean more toward obedience or the moral side of faith. It seems to me that John is telling us to wrap both love and obedience with belief, with faith, this doctrinal testing. And so maybe we should be listening to John and lean on that, to lean on faith. Not a faith, but the faith, our faith, Christian faith, which is distinctive in its his historical reality of Jesus. 
Jesus is the Christ born of God, and Jesus is the Son of God. Verses 1 and 5 are telling us this. First, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? There is very, very little debate about the historicity of Jesus. Very few people will dispute his birth, life, and death. Where there is debate is Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, and the Holy Spirit remaining with us. But the physical existence of Jesus as a historical figure, very, very few people would dispute that. Now, John... John himself was an eyewitness, and he started his letter back in 1 John chapter 1 with these words, the first three verses in 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. This is not secondhand information. What John and others heard, saw, touched, was all firsthand. Do we understand we are hearing from people who were there with Jesus Christ? It is not hearsay. Jesus used his direct disciples to lead us to, to, to belief through his words, through their words. Jesus said this in John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their, he's speaking of his disciples, through their word. And so here we have it. First John, this letter, we have John's word. And so this is why we take seriously the word of God to learn the message in it. The church building is not what holds the power of God. And I know that there are some who really want to gather as a church again, as a church family again. And we want to also, we are ready for it. We've made all the necessary arrangements to gather safely when deemed appropriate. But the power isn't us in this building. The power is in the word of God that informs us of the resurrection of Christ, the div divine nature of Jesus, the return of Christ in his glory. Do we believe that? The belief informs our love. It informs our obedience. The faith, belief of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, his return overcomes the world. You see, it isn't our love that overcomes the world. It isn't our obedience that overcomes the world. There's no bread of life to offer if you and I don't believe. 
if you and I don't have faith. If you don't believe in Jesus, the love that you offer, the obedience that you offer, it's all temporary. Those things don't last into everlasting without faith, without belief. It is powerless into the everlasting without faith and belief. There is no everlasting transformation without belief. Do we realize we're shortchanging people if we stop short of belief? The gospel message is love. Yes, there is a, absolutely a social aspect to it. And it also is obedience in that, yes, there is absolutely a moral aspect to it. But we can't stop there. There's this faith aspect. There's the, a belief aspect. There's a doctrinal aspect to our faith. There's more meaning to Jesus than just these physical things of social and moral. There's doctrinal. And Jesus has to penetrate into that. It has, he has to penetrate into our beliefs and into our faith. Jesus effectively works in us in the present, not just socially, not just morally, but also doctrinally. The historicity of Jesus isn't just for historical purposes. The historical reality of Jesus gives us this experiential clarity about eternity, about certainty. The Jesus of history said he is our savior. And so I can live with certainty right now today that that is true. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Luke 2, verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The history of Jesus, back in Matthew and, and Luke, telling us of who Jesus is, saving us from our sins, our Savior, that informs John's writing here. First John chapter 5, verse 1, that history informs this writing, where it reads, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. We don't believe in a God. We believe in the God. There's no teaching throughout the entire Bible that says Jesus is a God amongst many to be worshipped. The Bible does tell us that there are many gods, though, but they are false gods. And Jesus is the only true God. And this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible is precise in pointing out that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. And when one has been born of God, it is revealed by their belief that Jesus is the Christ. The belief that Jesus is the Christ is what happens when someone is born of God. And so you notice the sequence here in verse 1. You are born of God first. 
before you believe that Jesus is the Christ. You won't believe Jesus is the Christ if you're not born of God. So believing Jesus is the Christ is an indication that you are born of God, born again. Something happens when you are born again. You're made alive. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is through belief. It is through faith. It is not the acts of our love. It is not the acts of our obedience. The fact that you are a Christian is that God has worked in your life through grace. It is nothing you and I did. The fruit of who we are by faith is to be acts of love. It is to be acts of obedience. They are our proofs of our faith. But we can't get mixed up with just being people of love or just being people of obedience. We are both people of love and obedience wrapped in faith. The faith to know we must repent of our sins and place our trust in Jesus to take our sins upon himself so that by grace we have been saved through faith. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. You see that the historical Christ is not done working. It's not that he just finished 2,000 years ago and then that was it. Christ is dynamically working in the world today. And one of the indications of a Christian life is love. Take a look at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Not just love for one another, also a love for God. We've been hearing so much about love for each other. And you'll hear this all over the media about how we need to love each other. And people are talking a whole lot about love, even though there really doesn't seem to be all that much of it going on. But in all that talk about love, there is so little talk about love for God. Yet who are we born of? God. The God, not a God. I'm not a big fan of interfaith initiatives when it comes to doctrinal things. When it comes to things of faith, such as prayer, 
I'm just not that into it because we're simply not praying to the same God. Now, I'm perfectly fine in getting involved in interfaith projects when it comes to social initiatives or moral initiatives, but not when it comes to dealing with doctrinal initiatives because we simply don't serve the same God, worship the same God. It's not the same God. And people want to look at love and morality without looking at beliefs, without looking at faith. The word of God instructs that the foundation of Christian unity is the love which comes as a result of being born again by the Spirit of God. Being born again by the Spirit of God is how we are children of God. And and not all people are children of God. Yes, we are all image bearers. We are all made in the image of God and we all have value. But we're not all children of God. Because God is not being honored by everyone. The Bible tells us how God is honored. And there are a lot of people who do great, good social things. Who do great and good moral things. But they've completely dishonored God in the process. And so I can jump on board with a good social thing or a good moral thing and and team up together with people who don't believe the same things and I can do those things but if we're going to enter into things like prayer worship things that have to deal with doctrine when the doctrine is just really really way off are we really honoring God and loving God when we do that When we do love God, we also have to love his children. And when we do what God says, it brings us to obedience, doing what God commands. Take a look at verse three. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. When we love God and obey his commandments is is when we know we love the children of God. We, We keep his commandments. And this is more about moral integrity than it is about emotional intensity. We, we don't tend to attach love and obedience to one another. We tend to attach love and emotions together. And we look at obedience a lot of the time in a really negative way. We tend to attach doing whatever we want with love. The Bible instructs us that love is attached to obedience. Just as Jesus the Son is obedient to God the Father, and through that obedience, Jesus sacrificially loves us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. How do you and I show that we love God? In obedience. In sacrifice. And this goes for our personal relationship with God as well as our relationships with one another. This goes for our relationship with God as a church 
and our relationship with each other as church. And it's not just simply this emotional intensity that we have during our prayers and during our worship. It's not so much what shows outwardly as much as what is going on inwardly. This inward reality. Does that love God? How do we love God? And it's through obedience and sacrifice. To say that we love God and be disobedient is just very, very cheap talk. To say that we love God without sacrifice, that is just nonsense. Verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Love does not mean we get to do whatever our flesh wants to do. The person who loves God obeys his commandments, not as a way to earn God's love, but as an indication of one's heart's desire to love God. His commandments are not burdensome. And, and, and I, I get it. To some, this just doesn't sound right because you're thinking, yes, it is. These commandments are burdensome. And perhaps you have this picture of the Pharisees who, who had all these rules and these laws to abide by, and they, they just really exasperated the people. But then you need to read the scriptures. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, he, he said this, Come to me, all who labor and are, are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you hear that about the will of God? It's good, it's acceptable, it's perfect. Who in this entire planet can offer you something that is good, acceptable, and perfect? Maybe the good and acceptable, but to offer perfection? Only God can offer that. How can anyone's will be perfect when they don't know the future? Yet God knows the future. God is all-knowing. God is in control. His will is perfect. And this is really good news. To share with people the will of God for them is good. It is acceptable. And it is perfect. It doesn't mean that emotionally everything's going to be really great. But it does mean that God is in control and he's there and he knows the future and he knows what is good, acceptable and perfect. You see, his commandments aren't burdensome because his commands are good, acceptable and perfect. 
also because we are empowered to carry out these commandments. The gospel isn't about bad people who did bad things to become good people who do good things. It's not about good people who become better people. The gospel is about sinners coming to repentance and to live by the power of the spirit rather than the power of the antichrist. It's for the people to move their citizenship from the world to the kingdom of God, to, to, to move from death to life, dirty to clean, dark to light, powerless to powerful. Take a look at verse four. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, faith, belief. There is so much that we can be overcome by. Today, it's a virus. It's injustice. It is the numerous issues people are going through in their lives with relationship problems and addiction problems and financial issues and the list goes on and on and on as to the things that are happening to, in people's lives. There's so much that is heavy and burdensome in this world. But we don't have to live like this. Faith in Jesus Christ overcomes the world. His burdens light. We look around the world today and things just don't look good. We wonder what's going on. It's been over four months of this shelter in place living and things just seem to get worse with what's going on on our streets with no resolve. There doesn't seem to be solutions. It just, things just keep getting worse. And all these different things that we just don't even feel that we can do much about. And then we look at our own lives with the temptations that continuously come our way on top of what's going on in the entire world. And all of this is heavy and all of this is really burdensome. What do we do in times like this? For the one who has faith in Jesus Christ, we look to the word of God. We internalize what John wrote to us because he was there with Jesus, an eyewitness, a firsthand witness. And we look at verses like verses one through five in first John chapter five, and, and we meditate on it to show us the immovable fact that the Jesus of history is the Son of God, who delivered salvation to us. And in the midst of all that is chaotic and disordered, confusing, evil, and futile in our world, we turn back to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, to remind us who we belong to, who we have faith in, who we believe in. And through our faith and our belief, that is what empowers us to love. That is what empowers us to be obedient. And if we don't know these verses of the Bible, it'll be impossible to overcome the world. Actually, what will happen is we will be overcome by the world. 
And as a Christian, I know that we, we have these feelings and we can feel this burden. We can feel this being overcome. But we have to realize that those feelings and those emotions, those aren't the most reliable. The Word of God has to be implanted in us and our faith needs the living Word of God to, to spark in us the, the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. To empower us, for the Holy Spirit to, to, to empower us to be overcomers of this world. And so John ends this section here with this rhetorical question in verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, it's not going to be by our love. It's not going to be by our obedience to overcome the world. It's by faith, by the Spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit. You and I are to do things, good things for this world. In the name of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of God. But realize that if we just go about doing this love and doing things in obedience, without faith, without belief, it is all temporary and not everlasting. We need to increase our belief. We need to increase our faith so that our love and our obedience is further empowered by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for forgiveness when we are more reliant and dependent on ourselves, on our church, on each other to provide solutions to things that are completely out of our control. When we bring worldly, fleshly things into battle that are actually spiritual battles. Lord, how we can get derailed and distracted so easily by things. And I pray for clarity. I pray for an ability, God, to see as you see. I pray for our faith to increase, that we would see you more clearly, that our reliance and our dependence upon you grows, and that our reliance and dependence on ourselves or, or each other or the church, that diminishes. Lord, you are the ultimate solution to all that is wrong in this world. And so, Lord, may we continue to pray to you, to believe in who you say you are, as you have proven through history, proven through your word, that what you say is indeed true. So, Lord, would you increase our faith, increase our knowledge of your word, and bring to us what we need to hear when we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, if you would get your communion elements. The bread representing the body of Christ broken for us. It's why he came.
to reconcile sinners to His Holy Father. May we take this in remembrance of Him. Just evaluating your life and how you've been walking with Christ. Questioning your belief and your faith and seeing if that is consistent with what you profess. And so as you take some time to reflect and as you are ready, let's take this. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. It was completely paid. There's nothing you and I can do. And as Jesus showed his love to us through obedience to the Father and through his sacrifice, we take this in remembrance of what Jesus did and also in remembrance of the promise he made to return for us. Let's take of the fruit of the vine. Lord, thank you for this sacrament of communion. A very simple reminder that is very rich in meaning and very rich in instruction and promise. We pray, Lord, that this has indeed been taken in a manner worthy of your respect and honor, the respect and honor that we have for you. I pray, Lord, for you to keep the church strong, for us to continue looking to you and not to be pulled away by the things of the world or the things happening, but for us to focus on your promises and that you're returning at any time. May your church be ready. In Jesus' name, amen.